Psalm 44. O God, we have heard it with our own ears. Our ancestors have told us of all that you did in their day, in days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power and gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. They did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. It was your right hand and strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them, for you loved them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not count my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. O oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly praise your name. But now you have tossed us aside in dishonor. You no longer lead our armies to battle. You make us retreat from our enemies. You allow those who hate us to plunder our land. You have butchered us, us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You have sold your precious people for penitence. Oh, I looked up that word just so I wouldn't get it wrong. Many um, making nothing of the sale. You have sold your precious people for a trifle, making nothing on the sale. Let, your, let our neighbors mock us. We are an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You have made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. All this happened, though we have not forgotten you. We have not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. We have not strayed from your path. Yet you have crushed us as the jackals in the jackal's desert home. You have covered us with darkness and death. If we have forgotten the name of the, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands in prayer to foreign gods, God would surely have known it, for He knows the secrets of every heart. But for Your sake, we are killed every day. We are slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord! Why do you sleep? Get up! Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up, help us, ransom us because of your unfailing love. Amen. Even as Britain was reading that psalm, I just felt like it was just resounding in my heart. So powerful, powerful words. Well, good morning, church. Um, we miss you dearly, as has already been said. And though we are separated by distance this morning, we are so thankful that our bond is stronger and deeper than any distance or situation. Ours is a bond of the Holy Spirit through the shed blood and broken body of Christ. And as Paul wrote to the church in Romans, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. We are the family of God, whether we are gathered or we are scattered abroad. Now, we find ourselves living at a time of great fear, sorrow, and disappointment. And many of us are being faced each day with situations and dilemmas that we never wished for and that we never expected. There have been layoffs and furloughs. There have been closing down of businesses, burying dreams that we worked so hard to attain. 
Others have lost opportunities that you will never be able to get back. Uh, even in our own congregation, I know a first baby shower that didn't happen, won't happen. There's the greatly anticipated wedding day that looks so different than what you had already thought, always thought and always planned for. Maybe your senior year of high school, you can never get back the senior ditch day. Uh, maybe your mother's 60th birthday, and the list goes on. Just these little things that you were looking forward to, these and a thousand other situations that you just had to bury in the ground. And there's no redo for some of these. We can't get back these moments. They're gone. And that is something to lament. But there's more. There's also the pain and grief that the world is not right. Uh, we read the news every day, some of us maybe too much, but there's millions who have been laid off, thousands that have died, and many are living in fear and total social, social isolation. And these issues have actually only been highlighted by our current situation. The world was always this way. We're just waking up to it now. So what do we do? What can we do? And the answer, I believe, is lament. So why do I keep saying that word? What do I mean by lament? Well, lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament follows the theme that at one time everything was good. Everything was, was going fine and according to plan. But now all is lost. Maybe you heard that in Psalm 44. God, you went out with us with our armies. Everything was great and we were victorious. But now where are you, God? All day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Lament is an intense, almost violent, embodied form of prayer. And this is almost completely absent from the Western church, but was and is still very prominent in Jewish life and Eastern cultures. Though I do think that we have seen a culturally relevant example in one person recently, and that's Mr. Rogers. Uh, uh, our family, my wife loves Mr. Rogers, and, and now our kids love Mr. Rogers. And I, uh, even though I have to admit, as a child, I thought he was very creepy. I actually watched uh, his show, and I watched the documentary and movie. All that to say, the pain that that man carried, and just his vision for how he was trying to use media to speak into the homes and help children, and even sometimes adults deal with these very, very difficult situations. Uh, that man was truly a saint. He's trying to help children process things that there were no ultimate answers to. There was no way to fix or solve these problems. And I don't know if you saw this uh, in the film or in the documentary, but it highlights that Fred Rogers would often at the end of filming, when the studio would empty out, he would go over to the piano, and he was a great pianist, but he would go over and he would just bang on the, you know, the lower keys and they were just this dissonant chords, just banging on it. And as I was watching the film, I think in some ways what Mr. Rogers was doing, he was practicing lament, yes, though without words. He was practicing lament. You can hear the anger. You can hear the pain, the protest. And I would say that that is lament. What he is seeing in these children, he's mourning that this should never have been. These children should have never been exposed to these things, but so they are. And so there's anger, there's pain, there's suffering there, and he is protesting that. He is lamenting that. See, lament is the outcry when there is no answer. It's the pain of the process. It's expressing the pain of the journey when there is no end in sight. 
Now, in our culture, we are very uncomfortable sitting in grief, and we've talked about this many times here at Refuge, but, you know, just we want to move quickly to the good and the hopeful, and so we have Christian platitudes and cliches that we say about, you know, well, all things work together for those who love God and called according to his purpose, or, you know, well, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, and sometimes those are just like a wet blanket because what we're trying to do is we're trying to bridge uh, over this moment where we need to actually sit with people and we need to lament this grief with them. And see, the interesting thing is the Bible never used platitudes like that. These are sure and precious promises that were spoken directly to people for their situation. And so we need to be careful not to do that in our own lives. Again, we are uncomfortable sitting in grief. We want to quickly move to the good and the hopeful. And so the idea of lament is not comforting or comfortable to us. And even if we're brave enough to practice it, then let's make it brief. Now, Maybe that's because lament feels hopeless and dismal to us. It doesn't fit the Western ideal of happily ever after, nor does it fit our systematic theology of nicely categorizing things. Uh, Commentator Oswald Baer said this, systematic theology in dealing with suffering and in general tends to refer to a happy ending all too hastily and fails to take seriously the fruitless disorientation of the journey in all its uncertainties. Wow, that to me, when I read that, I was like, absolutely. The fruitless disorientation of the journey in all its uncertainties. I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking of the sovereignty of God in a way that everything that happens is purpose and planned by God. But when we look at sovereignty in the Bible, we don't find that. We find that the world is actually haphazard in many ways. It is filled with evil and chaos. But God is king. He is at work to defeat evil, and one day he will set everything right. So not everything that happens pleases God or was ordained. God caused it to happen. No, absolutely not. There is free will, but God promises that he will finally restore all things and make all things new, though the journey might be filled with uncertainty and have fruitless disorientation. For the follower of Jesus, joy is the last word, but lament may fill much of the Christian's earthly suffering. Now, this is probably why lament takes up a lot of space in the biblical story. Recognizing that we are living in a world that was never meant to be, a world filled with dark forces, powerful divine beings, evil, violence, decay, sickness, disease, and death, a world of sin. A basic framework then for lament is orientation. Once everything was great, disorientation, everything is wrong, and then a journey towards reorientation. And this can clearly be seen in many of the Psalms, like in Psalm 44 this morning. Lament bemoans the world that is, but I would say biblical lament does so because the world is not what it should be. Remember, we have a good God who made a good creation. Also, it is not, the world is not what it shall be. We have a redeeming God and a vision of a redeemed creation. So lament then refers to kind of that, that middle place, that wilderness, that journey from 
orientation to disorientation to reorientation. And so then lament refers, or can refer, I guess, to the mystery of God. What, what's God up to? What's going on? I don't understand this part of the journey. Well, his ways are not our ways. It can refer to the false absolutism of rationalism. Right? Everything is scientific and makes sense, and we can figure it out. And the postmodernists now react legitimately to this. It could reflect on distrust of an ordered universe and on disbelief in the sovereignty of the creator. Lament can reflect the amount of pain and suffering humans can endure, collapse under or transcend, resulting in post-traumatic nervous stress or in post-traumatic spiritual growth. This is where lament finds its place. We find examples in the Psalter uh, we read this morning. Verse 19, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered over us with deep darkness. What is going on? It's that disorientation. Or again in verse 22, yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Lament can be as complex as that, or it can be even as simple as how long, O Lord? Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the Psalms are filled with hundreds of laments. And though our lives and our situations do not fit exactly what we find in the Psalms, we do find a framework for speaking to God, for bringing our pain to God. And ultimately, lament can do one of two things. It can just express the deepest trust in God, or it can wholly reject God. Lament, then, is the spiritual experience of trustful humility or defiance of God in pride. I think a really great way, and I referenced this a minute ago, but to think about lament is biblically lament is a transition. Again, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. It's like the exodus. It's a tempted environment of murmurings and distrust or a joyful anticipation of the promised land. Think about the story of the wilderness. We have the nation of Israel, but there are two individuals who stand out in this story, and they are Caleb and Joshua. Remember that part where they go into the promised land to spy it out, and there's, you know, 10 who come back and they give this report, yes, the land is good, yes, the land is beautiful, but it's filled with giants, it's filled with, you know, terrible cities and armies, and, and we were like grasshoppers before them, and Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, and our God is going to lead us victoriously into that land and give it to us. You can see it right there. Biblical lament is a transition. It's a tempted environment where we can see all that's happening and we can murmur and complain and say, God, have you brought us out here to die? Or we can say, no, our God has brought us out here to deliver us from sin, from slavery to death, and to lead us to the promised land. It's a tempted environment. So church... As we are traveling through our own wilderness season, a long journey of unknowns, of scarcity, of fear on the right and fear on the left, the temptation for us will be like the children of Israel to question God's goodness, to question his love, 
to question God's faithfulness, to question the promises, to question even his presence. Is God really among us? That's what the children of Israel did. They questioned, is God really among us? If we're suffering like this, could God really be among us? Our temptation will be to doubt him. And here is where the Psalms, and especially the Psalms of Lament, can teach us. Because the Psalms direct our complaints, our fears, our doubts, our failure, our praise, our needs, our hopes to God and God alone. Martin Luther, commenting on the richness of the psalm, said, Where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, or pitiful words of sadness than in the psalms of lamentation? There again, you look into the hearts of all the saints as into death, yes, even as into hell itself. When they speak of fear and hope, they use such words that no painter could so depict for your fear or hope. And no Cicero or other orator has so portrayed them. And that they speak these words to God and with God. This, I repeat, is the best thing of all. This gives the words double earnestness and life. Hear that. The Psalms teach us to take our complaint, to take our lament to God. The temptation for us as humans is to talk about God rather than to talk to God. To bring our cares, to bring our fears, to bring our worries to him. That is the object of scripture. Remember Peter said this, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's proved it again and again and again. Why do we carry these burdens we were never meant to carry? When God offers to carry them for us, to be a fellow traveler along the way. Along with this, the Psalms give us permission to speak to God in total raw authenticity and unfiltered honesty. Yet, they never leave us there, right? The point of scripture is to shape our hearts and minds into the right kind of thoughts and desires and to, sh to become the right kind of people, God's faithful and righteous people. And so our desire in the weeks ahead is that by looking together at these very raw and unfiltered psalms, the Spirit would shape our raw emotions and confessions into right emotions and confessions. My prayer is that these psalms of lamentation will teach us how to properly lament, how to bring our lament to God, and how to fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus and be more conformed to his image. How to enter into the pain and grief of others. Remember how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and he says, Blessed be the God of mercy and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we might comfort those who are afflicted. I pray that that's what God teaches us through this. Now, this morning we're not going to walk through Psalm 44. So if your kids are bouncing off the walls right now, be assured, we are not going to do that. We have added, though, a little worksheet for you to do this morning, if you can, or maybe this afternoon or this week, just for you to be able to process this psalm yourself and to learn how to lament. Now, one last thought on lament to leave you with. 
And this is particularly on Christian lament versus Jewish lament. Now, of course, the Psalms are Jewish. They do not have the fulfillment of Messiah coming. So that's what I mean when I say Jewish. Christians believe that Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there's one huge difference between the Old Testament context on lament and the Christian's context of lament. See, in the, the Jews of the Old Testament could protest their suffering. They could complain, and though there aren't many characters who didn't suffer greatly in the Old Testament, much of the Mosaic law promised monetary blessing. It promised health, it promised happiness and well-being, shalom, in response to covenant faithfulness. But for Christians who are under a new covenant inaugurated by Jesus, the suffering Messiah, we actually cannot protest suffering. Suffering, in fact, is part of the program for the Christian journey. As Christ suffered innocently, so must we, as Jesus says, for we are not greater than our master. And consequently, you cannot find a voice protest in, on the lips of Jesus, nor on the lips of the apostles. You can't find it in the New Testament. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, he said this, We were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself, not to someone else. And in reality, not imagination. So let me say this, Christians can lament, and we should lament, but we cannot protest. We cannot protest to the one who with cracked lips, lacerated back, hands and feet pierced, labored breath, suffered the death of the cross for our sake. We cannot protest our God, but we can lament. We can lament to our God because he is not far off. He is not removed. He is not on some cushy cloud in the heavens. No, but in Jesus, he has been brought near. In Jesus, he is at our side. In Jesus, he is our guide and fellow traveler through the wilderness. And we lament to him because he knows. We lament to him because he feels what we feel. We lament to him because he is grieved in our grief. Exodus says this. He saw the affliction of his people and he was grieved. He was pained in their pain. We lament to the one who was sorrowful even to the point of death. He knows the way, church. He has traveled it himself. I think about the English poet George Herbert, and he wrote this incredible poem called The Sacrifice, and stanza after stanza, 62 in total, he chronicles the various sufferings and afflictions of the life of Jesus. Everyone with the refrain was ever grief like mine. Truly, Jesus, the Son of God, was a man of sorrow, and one who could say, as the Psalms say, darkness is my intimate friend. God has suffered. He knows the difficulty of the journey, for he himself has traveled it before, and even now he journeys it with us. 
And so again, as the Psalms instruct us, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And I pray that as we continue through the Psalms of Lament and as you do your own work through this Psalm, that God would teach you to do that, to be able to pour out your complaint to him, for he knows, he understands. He is that sweet counselor who, who has been through the exact thing that you are going through. He's been tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. I'll close with this. Soren Kierkegaard, who reflected much on the life of Job, left his mark in the corner of Copenhagen's cathedral. It reads, We believe that God is great enough to harbor our little lives with all their grievances and that he can lead us from darkness through to the other side. Amen and amen. And we are praying for you, church. We are here with you in this journey and in this process. And we ourselves are also in that struggle of taking these prayers, taking these cries, taking this grief, taking these sorrows to our God who knows, who sees, and understands. So let's do that together. As we close now in just a time of worship, remember we have uh, a Zoom call of prayer and just would encourage you, if you are carrying these griefs, carrying these sorrows, join with your brothers and sisters in prayer. Bring these things before the Lord. Pray a prayer of lament to our God who sees, who knows, who hears, who journeys the way with us. Amen and amen. Let's worship the Lord together.